0: Good morning, it's a Wednesday, it's Kale and Company Live, the final full day of summer 2022, so take advantage of it, it's just going to warm up a little bit today, and we are very pleased to have with us in studio this morning, Miriam Carter, Miriam is the Executive Director of the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen. Big, big event coming up this weekend in Concord. And uh, Miriam, welcome back to Kale & Company. Great to have you with us.
1: Thanks, Ken. It's wonderful to be back with you.
0: And the last time we chatted was a little bit before the uh, big uh, League of New Hampshire Craftsmen's uh, big event. At, uh, at Mount Sunapee, at the resort, and how did it go?
1: It was fantastic. We are so delighted that we had well over twenty thousand guests come to the event. Our craftsmen had beautiful work displayed at the uh, the fair, and happy to report, last year was a banner year in sales for craftsmen. Yeah, um, wow. So we had over one hundred and eighty artists in booths, and last year they sold two point seven five million in handmade objects. This year we. Didn't know what to expect they sold 2.65 million and that's compared to 2019 and prior years which was around 2.2 to 2.3 million every year so uh the new hampshire community and uh people who support us and enjoy what we do really came out in in stride and really supported the organization and its members
0: oh that that is incredible and uh the annual craftsman's fair at at mount sunapee always uh, an amazing event Uh, One of the great events during the summer in the state of New Hampshire. But as uh, now this will be the first weekend of fall that the Capitol Arts Fest is taking place this weekend uh, on the South Main Street in downtown Concord. And uh, that is kind of a kind of a, a mini uh, Craftsman's Fair, correct?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's just like a very small slice of, of that bigger event, but we have um, over 30 artists joining us, um, and the very cool thing is it's a free event. It's right in front of the league uh, headquarters on at 39 South Main Street, which is right across from the Capitol Center for the Arts. And... Um, and I actually said 39. I meant to say 49. Sorry, it's 49 okay. South Main Street. Um, but it's it's a wonderful opportunity to, if you didn't get to ma- get to the fair, or even if you did, just to come down and have a relaxed time um, talking with the artists, looking at uh, one, the wonderful work they do, maybe doing some Christmas shopping. Absolutely. Um, and then also enjoy the offerings of our uh, collaborators, um, our colleagues. Capital Center for the Arts is um, doing some wonderful musical performances on the street. And uh, there's a lot of Special events throughout the weekend, people doing performances um, that we're happy to be celebrating this year.
0: You know, I will have to say that uh, the people who put your website together have done an amazing job uh, with with this event, for sure. Uh, NHCrafts.org is the website if you want to uh, find everything you need to know, a, a complete schedule, just about minute by minute of what's going to be taking place. Over uh, Saturday and Sunday. It all begins uh, Saturday at 10 a.m., correct? Correct. Yeah, 10 a.m. to 5 on Saturday, 10 to 4 on Sunday. And so many things going on. And as Miriam pointed out, and we always like to mention this, uh, I mean, it it, it should be obvious, but it is a tremendous opportunity to do your Christmas shopping (laughs) for the special people in your life and get something that uh, is made right here. In the Granite State?
1: You know, it's it's really interesting. I, I was really heartened during these past two very difficult years that um, the League membership and you know, our galleries and our individual artists really have benefited from living in a small state um, with uh, neighbors and people who visit the state who really care about uh, promoting and supporting local talent. Um, so that's been a big relief to us. Our galleries have done well during this time, um, as, our, as our, many of our members have done as well. Um, and I just want to add that our galleries are actually participating in this event. They're th- littered throughout the entire state, but they'll be having special demonstrations to honor the fact that we're once again celebrating the makers of craft. Um, well,
0: ab- absolutely so. And uh, if you pick up uh, a copy of today's Concord Monitor, or even if you uh, view it online, as so many people do uh, these days, above the fold, fine craft, past and past. And present, and here's Miriam Carter's name right in the uh, the first paragraph, <laughs> or maybe the second paragraph uh, of the of the article. So uh, check that out if if you'd like uh, additional information. But it is a great event, and uh, 32 artists representing the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen at the Capitol Arts Fest uh, this weekend, just two days only, Saturday and Sunday. I'm looking at your website. Audience, it says, all ages, there's something for everybody, (laughs) (laughs) cost-free. And
1: I want to um, point out that at the big fair this year, at the annual Craftsman's Fair, we actually uh, increased our opportunities for children to participate because we want to build the future craft supporters um, or craftsmen. Yeah. as, as an opportunity to learn about craft, enjoy it. So we had a lot of free events at the annual Craftsman's Fair, and we also have another free event here, Kids Create Tent. You can bring your kids down, and they can make some crafts here. We love seeing what they do. Um, it's been a really uh, lovely uh, opportunity to celebrate uh, just the beauty of, of people creating things and having fun. Those kids inspired a lot of us.
0: Now, is that new this year?
1: Well, we've always had some aspect of demonstration, but there's this is a real focus point, again, to follow up with what did at the fair. So, yes, it's new um, in that it's bigger, and we're really making making an effort to tell people about it, so kids come on down.
0: So, what are some of the uh, the items that uh, kids can create?
1: Well, it's going to be an interesting—that's a really fair question, and um, I'm not sure what the final answer is going to be, because my uh, program director has been <laughs> not feeling well this week, and I haven't had a chance to see what the final thing is, but it will emulate a lot of things that we did at the fair it may be some clay making it may be doing things with fiber might be doing things with weaving i'm going to put it just you know make make people come on down and see exactly what we did but guaranteed to be fun it was one of the most popular things and best um, thought of aspects of the fair that we did this year
0: well that is terrific so uh, the kids create activity tent uh, open-ended creative space for youth yep. and uh, that will be uh, all this weekend uh, Saturday and Sunday, South Main Street in downtown Concord. In addition to all the uh, great items, the uh, 32 artisans who will be uh, represented throughout the weekend. And I, I, I'm looking at the pictures of uh, some of the things that will be available uh, this weekend. And such a, a wide variety of, of offerings uh, for, for people to uh, to shop uh, and uh, pick out some some great items for themselves and uh, for others as well.
1: Absolutely, you know it's amazing. We have over twenty well, we have over twenty media categories in the league. So wow. that means we have clay and fiber and jewelry, um, metal, non-metal things like that. But it's intriguing to me that it's a smaller show and yet we're really well represented in many of our categories. So it's somehow that balance happens naturally, and we are grateful that um, those members who've chosen to participate in this event are coming.
0: And all unique items uh, made here in the Granite State. And it's, it is just uh, fascinating, the, uh, the array of items that will be assembled. And these are all – now, you know, at one time you had a couple of big tents out there, right? Correct. On a- a- uh, South Main Street in, in downtown Concord for the Arts Fest. But now uh, they're all – Individual,
1: yeah, that's a kind of an offshoot of uh, COVID. Actually, we we went to a model of ten by tens, and during the height of COVID, we actually did the event and separated the tents uh, by ten feet to test how to do a hybrid model for the big fair that year. Um, and we understood how well it worked and said, let's go with this this model. Um, so these are commercial tents um, provided by us or by the members. They bring them, and um, it's really fun to see you know over thirty tents, white bright white tents on South Main Street. It's a very festive event. And of course, yeah. Capital Center for the Arts is going to have an incredible music stage there and wonderful offerings. They're partnering with us in such a big way this year, which is really great. We, uh, we really like collaborations and music and shopping. Fine craft go well hand in hand.
0: No doubt about it, and and food too, and food. And thank food. you for that. Yes, yes. So we have more
1: food <laughs> offerings this year than ever before. So we thank In Town Concord for helping us develop that. The chamber has been amazing in helping us create the program and adding to the website. And then, of course, I have a fabulous co- group of colleagues at the fair at sorry at the league's office that helped uh, pull it all together.
0: So a very collaborative event.
1: Yeah, not to mention the city of Concord. I have to say the mayor and the uh, city manager. Uh, Tom Aspell, um, really have, and, and all the, the city itself and and the uh, executive, however the city runs with the executive council, I guess is the right phrase. They've they've been supportive of this event for the start, and we're grateful.
0: Yeah, as as they should be. I mean, yeah. it's a great event, bringing people uh, to the downtown area, which is uh, very important because you'll have food offerings at uh, the event itself, but uh, people will be able to take advantage of everything right. uh, there is to offer on uh, South Main Street and, and beyond.
1: Beyond, yeah. And the Beyond is really an important piece. So this is a citywide event that we encourage people to come and learn about Concord.
0: Miriam Carter is with us. We're talking about the big Capital Arts Fest coming up this weekend, September 24th and 25th. 10 to 5 on Saturday, 10 to 4 on Sunday. We'll continue our chat with Miriam right after these words. You're listening to Kale & Company on WKXL, 1450 AM, 1039 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We will be right back. This is & Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Our guest today is Miriam Carter. Miriam is the Executive Director of the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen. Coming up, the annual Capital Arts Fest, which gets underway Saturday morning at 10 a.m., 10 to 5, Saturday, 10 to 4, Sunday on South Main Street. So many events taking place in addition To all the tremendous offerings by the local artisans that will be involved, 32 of them uh, to be precise, and uh, always some very, very unique items up for sale, and an opportunity, as we mentioned in the earlier segment, to Do some Christmas, I I was going to say early Christmas shopping, but it's rapidly approaching, (laughs) you know, really. We're we're only a few months away now, and it's never too soon to do that Christmas shopping. Get it taken care of, support local merchants, local craftsmen, and uh, get it done. Get it out of the way so you can enjoy the holidays.
1: Absolutely, and there's lots of other holidays that gifts are appropriate for. So we're always Absolutely. encouraging to people to think of uh, birthdays, right. birthdays, birthdays, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. and um, you know, and, and baby, babies being born, and yeah. it's year round. We have. Um, Lots of, you know, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, all that. We, we have something for everyone and uh, love the fact that we get to celebrate the handmade object every day. And, and um, I'm personally thrilled that I get to advocate for artists. It's uh, one of my favorite things to do and why I love this job.
0: Well, absolutely so, and as we mentioned, it's a very collaborative effort and uh, so many offerings uh, during the the Arts Fest in the Chamber of Commerce, uh, collaborating as well with uh, a walking tour of uh, historic uh, downtown Concord, which is a great offering, and that's uh, going to take place, I'm just going to click, at 10.30 Saturday morning. You can have uh, an historic walking tour of uh, downtown Concord. So that'll be fun in itself.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot to see as people um, know, but the, 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 uh, sorry, the in-town Concord last week had the upstairs-downstairs tour, which was very successful. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think what I've learned from that, I, I need to sign up for it for next year. But the people I spoke to said, it's amazing what you don't know about Concord. Uh, this tour will be another opportunity for people, for people to learn about their community.
0: And all kinds of music. Uh, uh, and, yeah. And uh, throughout the the event uh, on Saturday and Sunday of uh, this weekend, bringing downtown to life. It's a pretty lively place. I I like to walk in downtown Concord especially on you know Saturday mornings they have the farmers market there and uh, it's a great place to to walk have a cup of coffee whatever and uh, and and downtown Concord uh, coming alive uh, this weekend with the uh, Capitol Arts Fest and uh, bagpipers and everything,
1: right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so N.H. Scott joins us, and it's a really fun. Um, they came last year as well, and they marched down uh, South Main Street performing. And I have to tell you, it was amazing. They, they just uh, brought so many people together to watch the performance, and it's not to be missed. It's, it was really spectacular.
0: Yeah, and uh, I see at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, Andrew North and the Rangers. Andrew has been uh, on this show, and uh, they are incredible musicians, but they all are, that are performing uh, this weekend. and uh, you have uh, put them together along with the uh, the Capital Center for the Arts, as you mentioned, one of your partners in, in this event.
1: Yeah, I have to say, um, Sal Prizio, the executive director, who's new to the position, um, worked with his team to get a really nice uh, mix of local and not-so-local talent for this event. Um, and it's there's something there for everyone, I think. And lots of people are talking about Firefall. They're coming out. Um, so it's going to be a lively um, event with some individual artists and some larger pr- um band performances
0: yeah, no, absolutely so. So music throughout, and of course the opportunity to uh, you know mix and mingle with your your friends and neighbors who yeah. show up for the event uh, as well. You'll probably see somebody you haven't seen in a while uh, <laughs> trying to uh, buy some some really beautiful beautiful items. Do you want to highlight any of the items that uh, will be uh, up for sale on uh, Saturday and Sunday?
1: Well, I would ever, I would encourage people to go to our website nhcrafts.org to look at the list of artists there. Um, you know. We've got we've got jewelers. We've got uh, hat makers. We've got uh, outdoor uh, craft uh, beautiful metal sculptures. Um, we've got photography. Um, the whole mix is there it's a small group but it's a very uh, well-rounded um, group there's a glass maker so um, come see that we also Claude Dupuis will be who's for the Guild of New Hampshire Woodworkers will be doing a demonstration as well and he'll have some of his work there for sale so and then of course the kids create tent which we've already mentioned yeah, um, yeah there's there's it's a small event but I, I always have to talk about the flat ground <laughs> because they're not dealing with not the in, side of a mountain right? unlike the Annual Crescent's Fair and also, you know, this, this event was born out of the desire to bring the league to the streets and to introduce ourselves to people who don't know that, know about us. Um, it may be hard to believe we're in our 90th year. We just did our 89th fair. But still, um, even though we have a large social media presence now, there are people who just don't know about us. So we like to build a new audience members um, and relationships by doing this event. Um, And it's been pretty amazing that we've been able to draw younger people to the event because we did that model. We brought it to the streets.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm just looking at the article this morning, as we mentioned, in the uh, Concord Monitor. And uh, you, Miriam Carter, are quoted as saying, The Capital Arts Fest is the perfect way to show newcomers why handmade crafts are so valuable to the city of Concord and the state as a whole.
1: That's a good quote. That was wow. a great was quote. That day. Yes, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but She's, they are; they're so very important to us.
1: You know, it's it's really interesting in working on behalf of this organization. Um, the uh, relationships I've been be able to build, recognizing that this is an iconic. Uh, we have an iconic summertime event by doing the fair, and we're a beloved um, organization. So when I stepped into this role, I just started making connections with commissioners and the governor, um, and anyone who would take. My call to say, "Hey, we're here, and let's let's uh, amp up the um, knowledge of the league and its presence in the state because it's to be celebrated. And we're born out of the depression, and we're born out of a relationship um, with the with the state government and governors. So um, we we think we're very fortunate to be where we are, and we want everyone to know about us."
0: And really, you have a presence almost every day on, in
1: downtown Concord. We do, and yeah. and throughout the state, because right. we have those yeah. six galleries that, uh, in addition to our hooks Gallery. So um, we have some uh, gallery in um, Nashua. We have galleries in North Conway, Meredith, Littleton, Sandwich, um, and Concord, of course. So um, it's pretty amazing that people can access uh, the work of well over 200 artists who do our gallery, you know, can sign their work in our galleries um, any day they want to go shopping.
0: I know the Hooks at One is in uh, the rest area. It is. And, uh, you know, people from all over the country, all over the world stop there. Exactly. Uh, you know, in, during their travels uh, here in the state of New Hampshire. So I'm sure uh, a, a lot of exposure is derived from uh, that particular location.
1: You know, that was a really smart move on behalf of uh, Susie Suzy uh, stock Suzy <laughs> L- low stock um, our previous um Sorry about that. Susie Lowe-Stockwell, our previous executive director, um, she worked for 16 years for the organization. She and the board came up with this idea that Steve Dupre um, had offered, which was to be a part of that uh, project. And Rusty McClear and his partner um, invited the league to be a part of that location. Um, A really smart move for the league because they saw it as a feeder um, store, meaning that people would come to that Um, entry point of the state, and they would have the opportunity to see the little shop, and we could talk about all the other places in the state. They could see our our galleries, and in fact, it works very well. And to your point, we see a lot of people who are outside of New Hampshire and even New England coming through.
0: Uh, I mean, it's very unique for a rest area to have a shop like that. I mean, there are lots of rest rest areas that have souvenirs and, and what have you but this is really something special for people passing exactly. through the state or people who uh, live here as well
1: yeah and it doesn't it doesn't hurt that we're right next to the liquor store now uh, we, no, mo- well, we moved last uh, I year I didn't that helps want to say too. anything but yeah it's <laughs> but, true it's you know, right there yeah Yeah. yeah well it's yeah. it's an important part of the state the state's economy so um, as we know the creative economy is really important to the state as well so we can all we can partner with anyone but yeah. we're grateful for that uh, place in the state. It's a great, great part of our business model.
0: So the the big event is uh, this weekend, and again uh, Saturday and Sunday, both days. Uh, ten o'clock on Saturday. It's ten to five on Saturday. Ten to four on Sunday. Absolutely uh, free of charge. Uh, you know, unless you want to buy something, and who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, because there's so many items to choose from, and uh, great musicians, uh, great food. Uh, who could ask for anything more, right, in downtown Concord this weekend?
1: And great weather. And I'll tell you a funny story that when we started envisioning this event, um, I happened to ask Tim Sink, who's the ch- uh, president of the chamber, I said, do you know a good weekend in the fall? And he said, well, I've always recognized that the, the third weekend of, f- of uh, September is always great weather-wise. And to his point, that's been the case. So, And this weekend's going to be no exception.
0: Good job, Tim. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> weather forecasting. Check out that
0: Yes, up. yeah, meteorologist in Sink, huh? <laughs> uh, nhcrafts.org, great website. You'll be able to uh, check out the entire schedule and uh, so much more, nhcrafts.org. Miriam Carter, thank you for coming in once again uh, to uh, Kale & Company. Much appreciated, and I know uh, after this weekend you'll be working feverishly on that <laughs> 90, uh, 90th uh, League of New Hampshire Craftsman's Fair for Mount Sunapee Uh, next August.
1: Well, Ken, it's always a pleasure being with you. And thank you. You're a wonderful supporter of our organization and the arts and everything in New Hampshire. So it's always fun to be with you.
0: Well, it is uh, certainly our pleasure here at WKXL. Miriam, thanks. It is and Company. We'll be back with more right after these words, WKXL and NHtalkradio.com. Don't touch that dial. Kale & Company live for a Wednesday, the final full day of summer. Fall begins uh, tomorrow night about 8.04. And uh, joining us now, and uh, really looking forward to this one, is uh, Randall Balmer. Randall, uh, good morning to you. Hey, Ken, how are you? I am doing uh, very well. I know you uh, split your time between uh, New Mexico and, and New Hampshire. Where are you today?
2: I'm in Hanover, New Hampshire. I teach at Dartmouth
0: College. So not not too far away. And uh, Mr. Balmer is a a prize-winning historian, uh, leading public commentator on religion, and author of more than a dozen books. He also holds the John Phillips Chair in Religion at Dartmouth College in Hanover, and is the author of a brand-new book called Passion Plays, How Religion Shaped Sports in North America. And uh, thanks again for being with us. And uh, so uh, what was the inspiration uh, for this book?
2: Well, the immediate information was, uh, inspiration was uh, talk radio. <laughs> I began listening in the early 90s when I was teaching at Columbia University, and uh, I was just— uh, dumbfounded by the passion and the intensity <laughs> of both hosts and callers in sports radio. You would think that the uh, the fate of the world uh, were in the balance about whether or not Joe Torrey should have lifted the starting pitcher with two outs in the bottom of the sixth inning. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, that's my immediate cal- catalyst for the, writing the book, trying to figure out why that we Americans invest such peculiar passion into team sports.
0: Well, uh, there is certainly a great passion for sports out there. There is no doubt about that, and uh, you have a chapter in the book uh, devoted to that uh, very topic. And uh, Mike Francesa is mentioned uh, prominently, and of course, <laughs> a lo- longtime uh, sports talk show host at WFAN uh, in in New York, which is one of the uh, the first uh, all sports uh, radio stations in in the country, and. Uh, it's been a tremendous success, and so many have uh, uh, you know come along since that time. But uh, you, you were, as I understand it, I read this anyway, that you were slow to come around to sports talk radio.
2: Well, I was. I, I just uh, I kind of stumbled upon it. Actually, uh, I remember when WNBC made a transition to becoming WAF, WFAN. So that's how long ago I, I got interested in it. And uh, the, the the passion, the intensity, really just uh, struck me, and I have to say, I became part of it. I, I was swept up in it as well because it was fascinating to have these conversations and these debates over matters that, uh, you know, in the larger scheme of things, probably are not uh, do not. Uh, foretell the the future of Western civilization, but nevertheless, it's
0: important to a lot of people. But sports, uh, wouldn't you agree, is a great uniter uh, of people?
2: It is. Uh, It is. I uh, cite an instance in the book of my friend here in in Hanover uh, saying that uh, when he's filling up his car with gas and a pickup truck comes alongside with a Patriots bumper sticker, all of a sudden they have something to talk about, even though they might have nothing else in common in terms of Socioeconomic status or political views, uh, sports uh, brings them together.
0: Yeah, there is no uh, doubt about that. And uh, I want to thank you for mentioning uh, St. Paul's School in, in Concord so prominently. Uh, St. Paul's—it's <laughs> it's actually uh, less than a mile, really, from where I'm sitting right now—and uh, home to the first hockey game in the United States uh, back on November seventeenth, eighteen eighty-three. And uh, the book also features uh, nineteen eleven. Uh, illustration from a game at St. Paul's, where uh, the great Hobie Baker played uh, before moving on to Princeton. So, some wonderful photos and illustrations uh, throughout the book, which is uh, a big part of it. So, what what are the the parallels in in your mind between uh, religion and sport?
2: Well, the team sports in North America, and I focus, as you know, on baseball, football, hockey, and basketball, really developed their current form roughly in the middle of the 19th century until the early part of the 20th century, probably the middle of the 20th century. And one of the great impetuses for this was a movement called Muscular Christianity that actually began in Britain and then came to North America. And this was an attempt on the part of uh, various Protestant leaders to associate Christianity with athletic endeavor. And the great fear at the time was because of the Industrial Revolution, men were working in these sedentary office jobs or working in factories, textile mills and so forth, and not getting enough fresh air, not getting enough exercise. And so there were a lot of uh, camping organizations, for example, that emerged. Also, probably the best example would be the YMCA, which, of course, is the Young Men's Christian Association that sought to... Provide both Christianity, that is, uh, instruction and uh, uh, catechizing in tr- Christianity, along with uh, recreational pursuits. And probably the best example coming out of that is the invention of the game of basketball by James Naismith, a Canadian who was studying at the YMCA training school in Springfield, Massachusetts, now known as Springfield College. And he invented the game of basketball to keep young men active. Between the football and the baseball seasons.
0: So, talk about the role of uh, "quote unquote" muscular Christianity uh, in the rise of the uh, the four major sports.
2: Well, most of the inventors or the developers of these sports were in some way connected with muscular Christianity. I, I guess one example would be. George Beers, who was a dentist in Montreal, and he was a huge fan of lacrosse. He watched Native Americans playing lacrosse, which, of course, was a Native American game originally, and he was a Presbyterian, and the the catchphrase for Presbyterians is that they need to do everything decently and in order, (laughs) and so he saw this uh, mob game, which is what it was, Uh, you know, maybe a thousand players on a team probably exaggerated, but that's what he said at the time, Uh, these Native Americans playing lacrosse. And he says, well, it's a great game, but it needs to have rules. (laughs) It needs to have a a limited playing field. And so he limited the the field and provided a number of rules. And that actually has become one of the standards for these games. They began as so-called mob games where you would have a massive number of players kind of uh, milling around the field. And eventually, as these games developed and evolved, they became regulated in terms of the number of players on each team, uh, the the size of the field. And one example of that would be Walter Camp, who is considered the father of American football. And what he wanted to do was eliminate the rugby scrum because it was too chaotic in favor of the line of scrimmage. And so that's why you have football teams lining up on either side of the line of scrimmage before a play begins. And he thought that that would bring more uh, strategy into the game uh, of football.
0: As you point out uh, in the book, there was uh, plenty of physicality and, and violence in the in the history of Christianity itself.
2: Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, and even more than that, going back into the Hebrew Bible, you think about all the, the battles uh, ancient Israel waged against their opponents. But Christianity, of course, has not been averse to violence, unfortunately. And... You know, again, as these games emerge, violence is part of that, certainly with football. Football is scripted into the game itself, and that has to do, I think, primarily with the fact that football was really developed after the Civil War, and it was uh, developed and played initially by the sons, brothers, and nephews of Union Army soldiers in Northeastern schools.
0: You know, we, we think about the, the physical attributes when it comes to sports. Uh, how about the moral uh, attributes?
2: Well, this goes way back, even further, back to ancient Greece. Uh, Aristotle's book, Nicomachean Ethics, for example, argued that we we cultivate virtue in ourselves by practicing virtue, by being virtuous. And that was very much consistent with the Greek athletic ideal, that is, uh, athletes in ancient Greece not only were developing their physical skills, but at the same time, they were supposed to be developing their moral character, their moral formation. And the two, I think, are are very clearly linked. And you have this whole tradition that, again, is uh, represented with muscular Christianity, or muscular Christians, uh, people like... uh, Eric Little, the uh, track star from uh, Scotland, or more recently, uh, somebody like Reggie White, the Minister of Defense, who was also an evangelical pastor, and probably best known recently would be Tim Tebow, for uh, combining his Christian faith with his uh, athleticism.
0: Our guest is... Randall uh, Balmer and uh, Randall Balmer is uh, uh, talking to, with us this morning from Hanover New Hampshire where he is uh, he is a professor at uh, Dartmouth College and uh, Randall's new book is Passion play How Religion Shapes sports in North America and uh, can you hang on and be, uh, stay with us for a couple of minutes? I'd love to. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Randall Ballmer. And uh, take a quick break here on WKXL and NHtalkradio.com. If you missed any part of today's show, you can hear it again just after 7 o'clock tonight on uh, WKXL and NHtalkradio.com. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kale and Company live on this Wednesday. Our guest is Randall Ballmer. He's the author of Passion Plays, How Religion Shapes Sports in North America. And uh, he has written more than a, a dozen books. And, uh, and we, he, we talked about your inspiration for this one, which was uh, Sports Talk Radio. Uh, but what what did you learn in, in researching uh, uh, this book? Oh, my. Uh, any book is, is a, a great learning experience.
2: I think one of the things that I learned was the difficulty of the game of football becoming our most popular sport. That is to say, football, as I said earlier, was developed after the Civil War, as we know it today, uh, developed out of rugby. And as I write in the book, I think football had to overcome what I call the three R's. The first being region, second is religion, and the final is race region because this was a game that was invented, really, in the Northeast. And in order for football to become more popular, it had to go to the South, of course, which is where it really is a stronghold. And by the way, the reason for that, the reason for the the South being so interested in football is that football is fundamentally a military game that has to do with the conquest and the defense of territory. And of course, the South is very much um, uh, oriented toward the military in terms of uh, the number of of young men who and women now who sign up for military service and so forth. So that's one of the attractions there in the South. With religion, football had to expand to non-Protestants. And as Catholics began taking up the game at places like Boston College or Fordham, and particularly Notre Dame, Catholics took a great deal of satisfaction in beating the Protestants at their own game. <laughs> and then finally, of course, you had the issue of race and desegregation. And this is a rather sad story, because it was not in, many, in any way a smooth pathway. Uh, the person who arguably desegregated the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, was an African-American player by the name of Greg Page at the University of Kentucky. And in practice, his teammates piled on him. And he was paralyzed and died 38 days later. It's one of very sad stories. And also you have the more famous story of uh, Johnny Bright, quarterback for the Drake University Bulldogs in Des Moines, Iowa, how he was uh, intentionally injured in a game against Oklahoma State University. So the path was not very smooth, but uh, eventually, of course, you have the desegregation of football. And I think the other thing I learned is that, in many ways, sports anticipated changes in the larger society. So, for example, of course, we all know about Jackie Robinson integrating Major League Baseball on April 15, 1947. He did so more than a year before Harry Truman desegregated the American Armed Forces. So here's an example of uh, sports really leading the way in terms of social change.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Sports, you know, encompasses all uh, races and and creeds and uh, athletes uh, working together. Uh, It really embodies all of those uh, qualities.
2: It does. And there are various sports, I think, where you see that even more intensively than in other sports. Uh, For example, I, I, I try to make the argument that baseball is really the quintessential immigrant game. And when you think about it, immigrants have always excelled at baseball. In the 19th century, it would be immigrants from Germany or Italy or uh, even Scandinavia, for example. Uh, More recently, of course, you have, uh, well, first of all, African Americans coming into the game with Jackie Robinson and others following. And uh, players now from the Caribbean, uh, particularly the Dominican Republic, or even Asian players now excelling at the game of baseball. But it's an immigrant game symbolically, because it's the only game where the defense controls the ball. And it's the object of the offensive player, the batter, to disrupt the defense's control of the ball. And if he fails seven times out of ten, <laughs> he'll go to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, and, it's, and, and you have this batter kind of facing nine players who are out to thwart his efforts. And there, of course, are only three islands of safety out in that hostile territory for a second and third base. And for the immigrant, as for the batter, the greatest triumph is to return home.
0: There you go. So yeah, the baseball game uh, of of immigrants really, and uh, it's 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 a wonderful book. And uh, early on in the book, uh, you have uh, featured a couple of detailed maps uh, concerning the invention and development of many teams and sports early, uh, you know, in in their infancy. In fact. Uh, Concord, New Hampshire is mentioned for the first hockey game, as we mentioned, played uh, in the United States at St. Paul's School. But uh, one of the maps uh, features Princeton, New Jersey to Montreal, uh, the other from uh, College Park, Maryland to Pasadena, California, and many places uh, in between. Uh, um, Lots of great information on on those uh, two pages.
2: Yeah, that was fun to kind of put that together. And I actually think uh, if I can kind of be immodest for a moment, I think I was the first person really to notice that uh, the development of all of these four major team sports uh, took place within that arc between Princeton University and Montreal.
0: Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's amazing. It's, you know, uh, I, I thought I, I knew quite a bit about sports, but, you know, uh, reading the, the history that, that you have provided, uh, in, in this book about, uh, the way everything unfolded, uh, is, is really fascinating. And, uh, it's a great work, and we really appreciate what you've done. And uh, as we said, this is certainly not your, your first rodeo. You, you've you written uh, uh, over a dozen books. Uh, what, what are you working on now? <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, uh, this is a little bit different. I'm working on a biography of a, a politician, actually, uh, Mark Hatfield, who was a Republican senator from Oregon, For 30 years, arguably the last liberal Republican in the United States.
0: Mark Hatfield, certainly a very historic figure, no doubt about that. You've also uh, uh, done a book about uh, Jimmy Carter.
2: I have. uh, Jimmy Carter, I did a biography of Jimmy Carter, and a really extraordinary man. I think he's finally kind of coming around. Historians are beginning to understand that uh, he probably wasn't as bad a president as he's made out to be. And I think there's much to be admired in Jimmy Carter.
0: Very good. And uh, you teach uh, religion at, uh, at Dartmouth College uh, in, in these, uh, you know, rather turbulent times. Uh, what, uh, what, you know, how, how does that go? Uh, you know, I know there are a lot of, uh, you know, camp, this campus unrest that you hear about from time to time and uh, teaching religion at an Ivy League school. Uh, you've, you've done it for a while. Uh, has it changed over the years?
2: Oh, I think it has. I mean, it kind of goes uh, up and down. I, a lot of times, uh, there have been times when, when students have been kind of passionately interested in religion and dedicated to their own faith, uh, trying to reclaim their own faith. Other times when they are more interested in understanding the history of uh, religion and and uh, take a more dispassionate attitude toward it. But uh, it's it's rewarding, nevertheless. I've been doing it for a long time. 27 years at Columbia before coming here to Dartmouth in 2012. So um, I don't want to. I don't want to do the bath here. <laughs> because I'm too old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we, we appreciate your time this morning, and uh, the, the book is is terrific. And uh, uh, best best wishes moving forward. And uh, uh, thanks again for uh, writing Passion Plays: How Religion Shapes Sports in North America. Randall Balmer, uh, thanks so much for being with us.
2: Ken, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so
0: much. All right, take care. And again, uh, Passion Plays, How Religion shapes Sports in North America. And that's uh, from the University of North Carolina Press and available wherever uh, you get your books. Well, if you have not caught up to the news as yet, Aaron Judge did it again last night, hit his 60th home run of the season for the Yankees as they... Uh, rallied for five runs in the ninth inning to beat the Pirates 9-8. to The game-winning hit was a walk-off grand slam by Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees. Uh, Judge led off the inning with a home run uh, off Pittsburgh right-hander Will Crow. And uh, Judge, you know, who is really a very modest guy, uh, took a rare curtain call. He was encouraged by his Yankee teammates to do so as he equaled Babe Ruth's record of 60 home runs. but he has uh, you know one, a couple more hurdles to go here. And, and one is to tie Roger Maris's record for home runs by a Yankee and home runs by an American leaguer. That was 61, Roger Maris with 61 home runs in 1961. and uh, Roger Maris's 61st home run of the 61 season. Came off a rookie Red Sox right-hander by the name of Tracy Stallard. And ironically enough, the Red Sox and the Yankees will embark on a four-game series tomorrow night uh, in the Bronx. Uh, One more game with Pittsburgh for the Yankees before the Red Sox come to town uh, tomorrow night. But Aaron Judge could well hit his 61st home run of the year, and uh, maybe is 62nd and 63rd, who knows, against the Red Sox in their uh, four-game series. But it's really a remarkable season that uh, Aaron Judge has had for the New York Yankees, uh, a historic uh, season for Aaron Judge, and he is the odds-on favorite to win the American League's Most Valuable Player Award for uh, 2022. And And by the way, the Red Sox won last night which doesn't happen all the, often, all uh, that often these days, beating the uh, Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati. Well, thanks to our guest today, Miriam Carter from the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen. Don't forget the Capital Arts Fest coming up this weekend in downtown Concord. And uh, thanks to uh, Randall Balmer, author of Passion Plays, How Religion Shaped. Sports in North America. Thank you for joining us, and if you missed any of the show or just want to hear it again, uh, tune in tonight a little after 7 o'clock right here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 1039 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming always at nhtalkradio.com.